Hello, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and I'm very, very pleased this evening that we have two guests who are going to talk to us about the importance of nutrition, exercise, and diet. First, we have Elsa, who comes to us from Las Vegas, Nevada. Is that where you're from, Elsa? Actually, I'm calling you from Palm Springs. Oh, okay. Okay, well, both places are pretty warm. So welcome to the show. We really appreciate you being here this evening. And we also have Natalie Nankin. Natalie Nankin, she's a registered nurse. She's a certified nutritionist who's in private practice. And she is really one who has helped the lives of many children and adults with diabetes. So thank you very much for your your time and your expertise, Natalie. It's my pleasure. Yes. Well, you know, one of the things that many people are not really aware of is the fact that diabetes is truly the leading cause of vision impairment and blindness and blindness of Americans over the age of 45 years of age. And the reason that I say this in this way is that there are so many times that we see adults come to our clinic and they state that they were never told that if they did not control their blood sugars better, that they could become blind. And even with talking to them about the dangers that those with diabetes are at a greater risk of having kidney failure, of having neuropathy and losing their toes and their feet, they weren't aware of these things. And so tonight we really wanted to emphasize to all the people out there that it is very, very important that we take diabetes very, very seriously. And we know that today we're finding that more and more younger people, younger people are being diagnosed with diabetes. Some think that it might be related to all the sodas and soft drinks that kids are drinking out there. Others say that it's the diet. We see that here in Los Angeles there are many Latinos and Hispanics And they often eat a lot of carbohydrates, you know, such as flour tortillas. And these are things that are also things that can increase the blood sugar. So a bit later today, I'm going to be interviewing Ms. Nankin and asking her some specific questions that we all need to know uh, about the foods we eat, exercise, and diabetes. But first, I'd like to ask Elsa Enriquez to... I've asked her to come on to our program because she's a young woman that I have known for the past couple of years, and she's a very, very encouraging and inspiring young woman. And she said, you know, I'd like to be able to tell my story about how changing my eating habits and exercise changed the life of hers as well as her family. So, Elsa, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what are you doing at this time? Are you a student or or are you a mother? What is it that you are doing? I currently assist my father in managing a couple of his properties. Oh, okay. So that is what I'm focusing a lot of my time on. And those are properties that are in Las Vegas or in Palm Springs? Oh, they're in Southern California. Oh, Okay. And at this present time, are you visually impaired or are you totally blind? Can you tell us about your vision? I'm legally blind. I was born with Leber congenital amaurosis. 
So I am well aware of the importance of doing whatever possible to uh, slow down the uh, vision loss and prevent other uh, eye conditions from developing. And so tell us what really had happened then. Was there a particular time in your life that you developed uh, diabetes and was that affecting your vision in, in addition to the Lieber's congenital amaurosis? Actually, no, there are several generations of diabetes in my family, both on my father's side and my mother's side. Um, From my mother's side, my great-grandfather had diabetes, and that actually caused for him to lose his entire vision. And so that was part of my first exposure to learning that if someone has diabetes, that they could also lose their vision and um, of the importance on eating healthy and exercising to prevent these things. My grandmother, his daughter, is diabetic. Um, fortunately enough, she hasn't lost her vision, but um, that has been due to the family trying to, um, you know, provide healthier food for her, even though she sometimes is not the happiest because she loves her red meat. But um, another thing I would like to mention in regards to my great-grandfather, um, he also unfortunately had part of one of his legs amputated. So I haven't seen much positive things in terms of diabetes in my family. And recently, um, with my father being diagnosed with diabetes, um, I decided to get some blood work done and see how I was doing. And that's where I realized that even though I was eating what I thought was a little nutritious, and exercising, um, my sugar level was increasing. And so I decided I needed to do something so that I would not become a diabetic and we would stop the diabetes from continuing on uh, through more generations in my family. Wow. And how did you come to know that uh, you, you really should be tested? And how did you know about the importance of exercise and nutrition? Well, I've always enjoyed exercising, and um, it wasn't that I needed to be tested. I didn't really show any symptoms. It was more of just personal choice to go in and check myself because, again, having levers, I was concerned that uh, with the medical history, I would have high risk of having um, diabetes develop along the way, and by that, my condition... um, being affected and lose more vision more rapidly or develop other eye conditions. So that is why I decided to go in and get tested. And fortunately enough, I did because that's when I realized that my sugar level was a little higher than it should be. Even though my doctor said, oh, not to worry, you're at a um, good level, you just need to watch a little bit of what you eat, I realized that actually he was putting it in too much of uh, kind words, and I needed to do a little more um, research and um, try to be more proactive about nutrition. And my exercise was great. It was more of the nutrition aspect that I needed to improve. So fortunately enough, I came across a radio station in Spanish that was promoting a nutrition show. And I began listening to this nutrition show thinking, hmm, well, I have nothing to lose. Let's see what they have to offer. 
And I started following quite a few of the things that the nutritionist was recommending, which um, really helped. Um, I come from a Hispanic family, as you mentioned earlier, who loves to eat and uh, you name it, pozole, enchiladas, all the <laughs> yummy foods. So I haven't stopped eating. I enjoy my food. However, I've learned that it doesn't have to be uh, enjoyed every day. Um, and I've, I've uh, really benefited from the changes. And so has my family from the changes that we've made. Uh, we count our carbs now where before we would have a plate of uh a piece of steak, rice, and beans, and along with the rice, we would eat three or four tortillas. So that was one of our mistakes where we were increasing our carbohydrates by way too much. And by eliminating the tortillas and choosing to eat only the rice or eliminating the rice from our dish and choosing to eat only a couple of tortillas, it's made a world, a world of a difference, to name an example. Wow, that is great. So from your habits of what you learned to do with your diet, your family just followed along, and all of you are healthier now. Is that right? Yes, yeah, they struggled a little bit. My dad loves his tortillas, so he struggled a little bit, but he realized that it's for his own benefit, and fortunately enough, most of the family has um, gained a lot from it. My brother used to be um, very frustrated at times when he wouldn't eat at a regular time, and I started telling him, you need to focus on eating healthier and eating smaller portions um, more frequently throughout the day. And he decided to try it out, and he's a happier person, which we all appreciate. Um, And my family is um, just very, very happy because they've all lost some weight. They've all managed to control their sugar their cholesterol, and fortunately enough, we are now a new generation that has been remaining diabetic-free. That is wonderful. You know, and there's a few things that you said that really strike me. Number one, sometimes doctors might be, oh, it's a nice doctor. But, you know, when it comes down to your health, we do not need a doctor just to be nice and say, well, don't worry if your sugar's high. You're on the borderline. You're not diabetic yet. Many times we really need a doctor to be straightforward with us and to tell us, you know, what are those risks and those concerns. And I think the same thing holds true when it comes down to talking about nutrition. I'll tell a quick story before I introduce Natalie Nankin, who's going to tell us more specifics about nutrition and exercise and diabetes. But I was working at a place that was called the Tarzana Hospital Diabetic Treatment Center. And this is where we had a group of doctors. I was the eye doctor. We had endocrinologists, diabetologists, podiatrists, all these doctors, and we do ground rounds. And we would go from room to room, and we would check on the patients that were in the diabetic treatment center. And there was this one woman I noticed that she was there. This is the third separate time that I saw her there. And the head doctor of our group who led the ground rounds, his name was Dr. Rude, okay, and he was, you know, the leader, a very, very bright man, and I learned something from him, and he said to this woman, he said, Mary, this is the third time that you have been admitted here in one month. He said, do you know why you're being admitted here? It's because your blood sugar is too high, 
you're not exercising, you're not eating the right foods. He said, you know what? You are fat. Your dog is probably fat. I bet your husband is fat. And if you don't lose some weight and do what our nutritionist states, you're going to need a fat coffin. I could not believe the words that he was saying. And she just opened her eyes and she was shocked. And you know what she said? She said, Dr. Root, you're right. This is going to be the last time that you'll be seeing me. And she came into the hospital to come to visit us about six months later, and we did not even recognize her. She exercised. She changed her diet. She followed what the nutritionist stated, and she was so much healthier. So this does show something that I want everybody here to understand is that there is something that you can do if you have diabetes and you can control your blood sugars to a much better degree if you exercise and you consult with a nutritionist. So at this time, I'd like to welcome Natalie Nankin, who is, again, a registered nurse and a certified nutritionist who's in private practice and all the physicians are always referring to her. So welcome to the show, Natalie. Well, thank you. You know, as Elsa so so nicely stated, you know, she showed how changing her nutritional habits, I guess we would say, that she changed the way that she felt. She changed the lifestyle of her family, and her family's eating healthier. So can you tell our audience... What is really the importance of every one of us who has diabetes, or maybe even those of us who don't have diabetes and maybe we're overweight or we don't feel well, why should we see a nutritionist? Because I do not know many people who see nutritionists. Well, throughout the years, I've been a nutritionist for many, many years, and it's a constant changing science, as is medicine. New things are found almost yearly, if not oftener. And what we've learned now, which is one of the most important things we've learned, is that you can control your health, giving yourself good health by eating properly, by having foods that stimulate oxygen to all your organs. Now, all our organs function on oxygen. And as in diabetes, when you talk about blood sugars, when the blood sugars are high, there's sugar in the cells, and that takes away spaces from the oxygen. So that's why when you don't eat well, and even if you're not diabetic, you get some blood sugar changes, and you need the oxygen to feel well. That's really it. And to define diabetes... In another way, it is a small blood vessel disease, and meaning that the tiny vessels that go to your eyes and to your kidneys and to your legs and to your nerves get blocked with sugar in them repeatedly. So, of course, we want to eat the best we can to prevent any blockage of our nutrient oxygen to keep us healthy. And I hope that answers Yes, and you're so right, because that's what we see as eye doctors. When we see people who have diabetes and we look at their retina, we see that their retina is really starved 
for oxygen. And as you stated so well, if there's high blood sugar, that's taking up some of the space so that the oxygen can't be delivered as well. And Natalie, can you tell us what is the significance of blood sugar? I know that virtually every patient who has diabetes, their doctor tells them to measure their blood glucose. And what's the significance of the blood glucose? And can you tell everybody where does this blood sugar or blood glucose, where does the sugar come from? Well, first of all, glucose is just another word for sugar. Anytime you see a word that has O-S-E in it, that means sugar. And so glucose is sugar in the blood. And as again, as I'm saying, that that can produce ill health, all the things that you mentioned before, Dr. Bill, of all the complications that can happen are from high glucose levels in the blood. And the way we can stop the complications of diabetes is to keep our blood sugars as close to a normal number, like between 80 and 120, as possible. Now, people who do not have diabetes can do that because their pancreas puts out the exact right amount of insulin for whatever food they eat. Insulin breaks down the food, mainly carbohydrates. If you have diabetes, there's two types, type 1 and type 2. Type 1, there's no insulin coming out. So type 1 diabetics usually have to use and inject insulin to break down the glucose in their blood. Type 2 has kind of what we call sloppy pancreas. Sometimes the right amount comes out, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes none, sometimes too much. So they really have to concentrate on their food so that it is stable to keep their numbers between, as I say, 80 and 120 if they can. Because as soon as your blood sugar goes up, not only are you heading towards complications, but you don't feel good. High glucose in the blood makes you feel sick. You get tired, sleepy, urinate a lot, get thirsty, and very irritable. So those are really some of the symptoms that a person's blood sugar is increasing if they are frequently thirsty, frequently yes. going to the bathroom, very irritable. Yes. Now, one of the things that we have available now for people with uh, diabetic retinopathy and they have low vision, there are now uh, different types of devices that are able to measure a person's blood glucose or blood sugar right at that moment. You you use a little device and it, it makes a little prick on your finger and you put your blood right there and it could measure your blood sugar right at that moment. But I also know now that many doctors are asking their patients to have something called a hemoglobin A1C test. And what is the difference between this hemoglobin A1C test and the type of diabetes uh, blood sugar testing when we use that machine? Oh, very good question, doctor. When you first are diagnosed with diabetes, and I have to add this even though it's a segue, it is important to see a physician and most possibly an endocrinologist and someone who will get you to a diabetic specialist 
such as a nurse or a nutritionist or a dietitian or a diabetes educator who will help you and teach you how to use the finger stick so that it becomes not frightening and painful but almost like brushing your teeth after a while. That test tests what your blood sugar is at that moment. And as we eat or walk or exercise or have an emotional change, those numbers change. They're not constant. That's what diabetes is, not constant blood sugar number. So what the doctors need to do after they tell you what medication to take, how much exercise, send you to a nutritionist or dietitian to get a program, then to test the treatment to see if it's working, they do the A1C test, which tests the sugar in your cells for the last three months. It's a wonderful tool for control. Oh, so the A1C test will measure how much sugar do you have over an average time period of three months. Right. So what that basically means is that I could use the instrument and prick my finger and measure it, and maybe at 10 o'clock at night, it reads 90 or 80 or something good. But maybe a lot of the other parts of the day, my blood sugars are high, and I just wouldn't even know it. Right. And, again, the process of the A1C is not only, you know, they check you, you can't cheat with the A1C because they're going to get a picture of what you've done for three months. But the real important part is, that it is information on how you should be eating and exercising, and it is to see if the medication works. It is a check on the treatment and the efficiency of it. You know, Elsa had mentioned something about her brother that I found was kind of interesting, where she stated that her brother would sometimes get grouchy. And, and I would have to say I'm, I'm equally to blame in that way. Because there's many times that I would get up at 4.30, 5 o'clock, have a cup of coffee, have a ride to work for lunch. I'd have maybe Diet Coke, maybe an iced tea, and then I'd get home, and I would eat dinner at about 7 o'clock, and I would just be starving. I'd finish mm-hmm. eating that meal. Well, let me go back with it. When I get home from work, I'm the grouchiest guy ever. <laughs> the traffic, I'm hungry, I got a headache, I'm tired. And so when people have that particular type of diet where we think maybe we're doing ourselves good by not eating too much, we may actually be doing something wrong. Is that is that accurate, that eating just one oh, big well, meal a day is bad? Yes. If you're diabetic, it's it's... You know, uh, let me just go back with the irritability. You, there's a kind of sleepy crankiness, but the real definition of irritability is when your blood sugar is low. If you go below 80, there's a different set of symptoms that you have to also watch out for the low blood sugars. And the first thing in the low blood sugar is cranky, irritable. And if someone says hello, you want to know what they mean by that. You know, it's just a <laughs> quick, quick response of irritability. And they also feel hungry, feel like something is slipping inside, like a scale is dropping or 
there's a headache and a little perspiration and a little trembling. Those are the signs of the low blood sugar. But that kind of irritability is quicker and faster than with the high blood sugar. But if you go into a program where you're not nourished, I mean, even a non-diabetic who would eat just one giant meal a day is malnourished and having blood sugar changes during the day. So to go without food all day is dangerous. And when I talked about diabetes being a small blood vessel disease, the worst way to close those blood vessels is to spike your sugar, to go from not eating all day, and let's say you go to dinner and your blood sugar is only 65 or 70. So it's very low. Then you eat your mammoth meal, and you probably get up to 280 or 240 or something. That huge spike is more dangerous to the blood vessels than if you stayed a little bit high all day long. Oh, goodness. You must nourish your body all day. And people with type 1 diabetes need to snack because they're feeding insulin. They're taking insulin. So insulin comes in a short-acting one where it just lasts about six hours. And then the doctors usually add to that a long-lasting one to cover you through the whole day. So when those blood sugars change from the insulin, you have to not get caught in a low. And so snacking is very important in people with type 1 diabetes. Gosh, that is so good information. You know, I heard many other of my patients who have had diabetes often state that what they do is they count the grams of food they eat. So they would say, for example, I have one serving of vegetables, and I have one serving of fruit, and I have one serving of mashed potatoes and one serving of meat. And they often will measure this serving as being similar to about the size of a tablespoon. And by simply counting calories or reducing the amount of food that we consume, is that actually the most effective way of controlling your your blood sugar with diabetes? Well, it used to be, in the olden (laughs) days, it used to be the poor diabetics had to measure every single group of food that they ate, and they didn't have blood sugar to monitor, they had to test their urine, which was old news because by the time the urine sample came out, it was about four hours after the fact of what the blood sugar is. So now we've graduated to blood sugar, which tells you what your blood sugar is at the moment, and you don't have to count all of the groups of foods that you eat. The American Diabetes Association now sends out when people call and ask for a diabetic diet. They said eat a healthy, low-carbohydrate, low-fat, because if there's any heart or age, people of a certain age, diet, but you don't have to weigh and measure. The only good thing about measuring is if you measure your carbohydrates, and many physicians and nutritionists and dietitians now tell their diabetics to just count their grams of carbohydrate. Now, one carbohydrate is 15 grams. So one slice of bread is 15 grams. 
One cup of Cheerios is 15 grams. They're equal to each other, each of the carbohydrates that are 15 grams. Now, if you find an ice cream and it says low sugar, but the carbohydrate count is, you know, 45, then you've already used up three of your carbs in that one portion. Oh, so okay. So it's important to know and to go to somebody of expertise to know how many carbs you should have for your age, your diseases other than diabetes, for your weight, for medication. That all has to be included. So I take it that one of the things, besides just eating plain sugar, we have to really be careful about eating too many carbohydrates. And what are some other examples? You did mention that a slice of bread or a bowl of Cheerios. What are some other examples of carbohydrates? Okay, carbohydrates are under the list of any of us over 25, of starches, they call them, and it includes any kind of dessert, basically, that's going to have sugar. Mm-hmm. And it includes uh, some vegetables that are very starchy, like corn and beans. Those those have oh. the same 15 grams as a slice of bread. When you have a quarter of a cup of beans, that's the same carb count as a half a bagel or a slice of bread. Now, I, I mentioned bagel. There are 15 different sizes of bagel out. <laughs> and when you talk about them, it's the kind that comes in a market in a bag. All the fancy individual bagel places are, some of them, uh, Western bagel is three breads for just one bagel, 345 oh. grams. It and is? The Noah's, <laughs> yeah, and the Noah's, the big fat ones, are almost five carb <laughs> count. So, I mean, there's lots of things, and... Just knowing, the most important thing to know if you're counting carbs is that one equivalent is 15 grams of carbohydrate. And now most of your foods have on the labels of the cans and the frozen packages how many grams of carbohydrate are in them. And again, depending on the height, weight, size, and the person, it will determine how many carbohydrates you can have. And I have to say that when we talk... Before, about glucose in the blood, not only does insulin help that and medication from the doctor, but you can burn up glucose in the blood by exercise. In fact, people who are pre-diabetic had been put through a test. It was a very big test of a lot of people. Half were put on metformin, which is the basic oral diabetic drug. These were to prevent diabetes later on. And the other half were put on an active exercise program. And the people on the exercise program did better in preventing diabetes than the ones on the drug. Oh, okay. Exercising really helps us to use that blood sugar. Right. It uses up the extra sugar in the blood. So if you're not type 1, where you can always add more insulin and you're on just say weight loss and food to control your diabetes and you feel like you overdid it at a party or a wedding, a good walk could help you. You know, and is one of the reasons that the carbohydrates are something that we have to watch how much we consume because the carbohydrates turn into sugar much more quickly 
as compared to eating other types of uh, dark green vegetables or other things like that? Yeah. Um, basically, our foods are protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Carbohydrates break down quicker than the other groups of food and raise the blood sugar immediately. Okay. Now, the other important point to prevent that is that when you do eat carbs, most you find that the educators will try and get fiber into the carbohydrate because the fiber slows that absorption. So if you were eating a cup of rice, white rice, and a cup of brown rice, the brown rice would go into the bloodstream slower because it has a small grain of fiber in it. That's really right, right, great to know, you know, and, yeah. you know, Natalie, what's so surprising to me, there, I, I could imagine there's probably so many of our listeners out there throughout the United States who are saying, you know, I thought I was doing something healthy by eating corn and beans. I thought that was really good, but if you have diabetes, that type of corn or beans are, are carbohydrates. It's the same as eating a flour tortilla. Right. It has. I'm not saying don't eat them, but they have to be counted. Gosh. May I give a quick I mean, example I'd rather... as to what I was doing with that? Yes, yes, please, Elsa. Well, I made that mistake, and I will admit it. My breakfast would consist of oatmeal and fruit, so pure carbohydrates, pure sugar. And what I needed to do was add protein. And so right. instead of having my um, cooked oatmeal with water, warm water as it's been boiled and adding fresh fruit to it, thinking I was eating healthy, I instead replaced the water with milk. Therefore, it made it a complete meal, one quick change, and I was eating a lot healthier and consuming a lot less sugar. That is really, really great. That is great. You know, and that relates back to what Miss Nankin was talking about, that anything that ends with O-S-E, O-S-E, Glucose is sugar, but we also know that fructose, we see this on packaging. It'll say fructose, but that is sugar as well. Is, is that right. correct? Yes. It, it, um, there's sucrose, which is straight sugar. That, that, that's hard for any diabetic to get away with without raising your blood sugar. And then there's dextrose, which is also difficult. Then there is fructose, which has a little bit of fiber. Most fructose is from fruit, so you have skin on it, and so it burns a little bit slower and doesn't raise your blood sugar quite as fast. So there you know, are many one, sugars. Yeah, excuse me. You know, one of the things that I also have uh, a lot of interest about is, you know, many times we think that we're really healthy if we do not drink sodas. Okay, and so we think that we're really being healthy by drinking orange juice. And the other day, my son, he he is a, a person who really tries to be healthy and he wants to be lean and mean and things. But he drank a quart of orange juice at breakfast. Oh. And as I'm thinking about this, I said, you know, that is, what, 32 ounces of orange juice. But... Because that does have fructose, tell us about that, drinking fruits, juices. What, well, what, is that dangerous for a person with diabetes? Yeah, for diabetes, 
the only time you should drink fruit juice is if you're having an insulin reaction because it'll get your blood sugar up so fast and so high. Now, if you if you have a program made and oranges are something you like, if you have one orange for breakfast, it has those little white strings and that's fiber. So it's okay to have one orange. The fiber will slow the absorption and it will probably not raise your blood sugar. If you drink, let's say, a glass of orange juice close to eight ounces, you're having the sugar for at least four oranges with no fiber to slow down the absorption. <laughs> so the diabetic does that, they're going to raise their blood sugar immediately. And that's why when we have diabetics who take insulin and they're having a horrible insulin reaction ready to pass out, you just give them orange juice and in about four minutes they're back. Your your son does not have diabetes, right? No, he doesn't. But I need to tell him then in drinking that 32 ounces of orange juice, that's almost equivalent to him eating 24 oranges. Uh-huh, with no fiber <laughs> and no no protein to slow it. Now, remember, also, I mean, I don't want to get into the diet, but if your son wants to be lean and mean, he has to cut his orange juice in half and not have it without having a protein because even non-diabetics get an elevation. But if you have a protein with it, it burns slow and lasts for two hours so you don't bounce up and down. Remember oh. that high blood sugar to low sugar is very dangerous, especially for the eyes and kidneys. Gosh, that is so that is so interesting. You know, and there's certain times that I think we all are guilty of this, but we think, yes, if I had beans or corn and I had bread, I didn't put butter on it, I had a lot of orange juice or apple juice, we're doing well, but we are really increasing our blood sugar so much. And as optometrists, we know that when our patients have high blood sugar, it significantly affects their vision. Uh, many people, when their sugars are high, they cannot see distance objects clearly at all. And when their sugars are low, they notice that their distance vision returns. So it shows that change. Now, Ms. Nankin, is there a difference in the types of diet that you as a nutritionist would recommend for a person who is type 1 diabetic and takes insulin versus a person who's type 2 diabetic and does not take insulin, takes a oral medication? Is the types of foods or diet that they should be having in general different? Well, according, as I quoted before, the American Diabetes Association, there is no difference personally, and I think most dietitians and, and diabetic experts customize the diet for the person. As I say, you have to take into consideration height, weight, age, and other, and other problems, physical problems. The only thing I do differently for type 1 diabetics is have them snack through the day because we don't want the lows. Lows are dangerous as highs, and they can pass out. So and what are, is, what are some uh, uh, examples of the snacks that you would tell them to carry? You know, let's say that it is somebody who is going to be out for the whole day, and uh, what, what would you recommend they carry? That's a really good. Well, I start out by asking if they have any of those small coolers so they can 
cheese and a piece of fruit. Oh. Mm-hmm. Or they can do a yogurt. Yogurt has protein and carbs, so it's a combination already. And get a carton oh, of yogurt okay. if you have a cooler. If you don't have a cooler, it gets more difficult. The tiny little raisin boxes that you give out on Halloween yes. is the yep. right amount of sugar. And if you have that with a protein of some kind, um, a lot of my patients will go to Trader Joe's and they have this low-sodium turkey slices, and they just roll them up in foil and snack oh. on that with raisin or with a few crackers. Um, I'm trying to think. Take with you. How about there fruit are... with nuts? Pardon me? How about fruit with nuts? That's usually what I travel with, different kinds of nuts. Yeah. Uh, well, on weight loss programs, I don't give a lot of nuts. Because oh, okay. three nuts are a hundred calories, so three oh, nuts wow. are a hundred calories. Yeah, that I was not aware of. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm talking. I usually if you consume want... five. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the nuts. You can do five of some of them, but it's uh, <laughs> it's just I don't do it for if I'm controlling weight. The nuts are too caloric, <clears throat> and well, the protein are... for a diabetic. That's taking medication. You're not taking medication, Elsa. But for those taking medication, the protein in the nuts is not high enough to hold your blood sugar. I see. Good to know. God, this is such great information. You know, I wish that we had uh, much more time, but... um, I'd I'd like to open it up to questions. If any of you have questions for Natalie Nankin or Elsa... Uh, I'd like for you to unmute your phone, and you could do that by pressing star six. And remember, you know, this particular type of information, this is really only guidelines. You you really should schedule an appointment with a certified nutritionist because there's other things to consider. Maybe you have high cholesterol or you have low cholesterol or elevated triglycerides or other other types of things that are very, very important uh, that the nutrition can help. So if anybody has a question, unmute your phone by pressing star six, and we've got a few minutes to answer a few questions. Go ahead. This is Ellen in Venice. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, I'm t- type, type 2 diabetes for the last six years. Everything's going well, but my doctor keeps me on Actos as well as metformin. I've been told lactose is bad for you. Hi, Ellen. Um, there has been some negative research on lactose, and um, have you talked to him about it changing? There's so many yes, drugs. No, we've been together, you know, for many, many years. He said just uh-huh. stay on it. That's that's something about it. that was popular in another country or the origin. He says stay on the lactose. Can I just ask you a personal question? Yes. How old is your doctor? My doctor has been with me 30 years, so I guess he's about 65. I'm oh, 80. He's still, young and, he's still young enough to know what's happening. You know, there has been bad press. I understand, you know, your concern. But if everything's working and he thinks you're doing okay on it, just stay yeah. with him. The only other thing I do is, uh, are you computer savvy? Somewhat, yes. Okay, look up the drug and see what the new research is on it. Yeah, I, I have and done they that. Say but 
It, it like, gets very technical, but and, and I ended up asking him, you know, for all the reasons I I, I did look up all the problems that could happen. Uh-huh. But but he's just telling me, he says, well, you just just stay with it. It's not hurting you. What, what yeah. does Actos do? Um, they're saying that there was some negative blood vessel problems from it. Mm. But I don't know. But, you know, it it changes. And um, do you have somebody who can read it for you off the computer? I would just oh, check sure. it every three months because they do the new updates on those kind of medications every three months. Or if you have a pharmacist, you know, ask his opinion. I think what I'm, I'm hearing what you're, you're answering me. Check again. Check again. You're not, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, another question for Elsa or Dr. Natalie Nankin. Yeah, this is Tom from Vermont. And just once, I do not have diabetes. I get my physical every uh, year at the VA, and they've not indicated. But once in my life, I happened to be in the blind center in West Haven, Connecticut, and I was with a trainer, and I was feeling, I said, I don't feel good. I feel cold and clammy. And they said, go up and, hey, they're checking up the blood sugar. Go have that. It was 19. They said, you should be dead. Uh, And they... They asked, when was the last time this machine was calibrated? And, of course, they gave me the orange juice, and by the time they checked it again, the machine was calibrated, it was up to, like, 32. And is it ever common for people to have that low just once or twice in their lifetime? I've never had that experience before. And and do you still work out and exercise? Yep, I work. I haven't done as much lately because I had a my my 64 and I had a, my foot's been bothering me from ice in the, in the winter time, so I need to get back into into shape. But yeah, I exercise, I walk, uh, eat you've well. Not had a low, and you've not had that clammy low feeling ever again. Haven't had that since then. It was just interesting. I assume because 19 is about the uh, morbidity rate, right? <laughs> It, I, I've never heard of anyone 19. Yeah, they never heard, heard it either. Never have. 32, That's, I'm sure you felt the same way. I mean, you don't feel that good when your blood sugar is 32. That's pretty... No, it wasn't. Breaking, yeah. But I, just for future notice, if you know you're going to be very active and increase your activity, be sure that you have a little bit of orange juice before you go. Right, yeah. Because you don't want to go there again. No, I did, did not didn't like it the first time, and I don't want to go there right. again. Right. <laughs> right. So if you pick up your exercise, you should really just eat some fruit and cheese or some something before you go and do it, just to cover yourself. And speaking of cheese and fruit, when you recommend protein, I know you said cheese, and I guess yogurt. Anything else for when you take the orange juice or eat an orange? What other type of things with protein do you recommend? Well, if you're underweight and you have no weight problem, you could have the few nuts that Elsa said, or sliced turkey or chicken or egg, hard-boiled eggs or anything with protein. Okay. Great. Thank you. That's a great question. Well, you know, we'd like to... At this time, wrap it up, and I want to thank uh, 
Elsa Enriquez and Natalie Nankin for your time here this evening. This has really been extremely informative, and we'd like to have you back to talk about other things related to nutrition. And Elsa, if anybody has questions, they just want to maybe ask you, how was it that you were able to get your family to follow? Uh, do you have contact information, such as an email or something? You could call me. That would be um, my number would be five one zero four one seven one nine five zero, and I'd be happy to share a little more information in regards to how I used to eat and how I eat now. And um, thank you very much for having me today. Great, thank you. And uh, Natalie, do you have an email or your office phone number if anybody wants to schedule an appointment with you or ask you about the questions? Yeah, let me give you my email. It is N J N A N K at AOL dot com. Okay, that's N J N A N K at AOL dot com. Right. Okay, great. Yeah, this has just really, really been wonderful. One of the the best best interviews we've had with such great information and a lot of eye openers. So I want to thank Elsa and Natalie. Thank you so much. I want to thank all you listeners. This will be available again at the CCLVI webpage at www.cclvi.org and also on airsla.org, www.airsla.org. And I think it's also going to be soon broadcasted on ACB radio. So we'd like to thank uh, Mr. Dick Burden from Airs Alley for recording this, and we hope to see all of you next month when we talk more about low vision. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, Elsa. Thank you. Thank you, Dick, Tom, everybody. Thank you.